there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna kill my head. I got a bad case of loving you. The doctor is in. this hour uh the issue of kidney failure of course toxicological we know big big pictures a lot of things modern medicine is not getting right about it though well there's a there are a lot of things that modern medicine has ignored when it comes to renal function and i think that a lot of our problems with renal function and and chronically debilitating uh diseases that eventually result from this slow insidious assault in the kidneys is virtually ignored by modern medicine. So let me give you an example. One of the most mm-hmm. popular over-the-counter medications that are uh, recommended for anti-inflammatory, the, um, the NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Even uh, beyond acetaminophen, Tylenol, right? Right. We're talking about just like the Motrins and you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, now, they have, they're renally excreted, and they have an effect on the kidneys. And in fact, it's... Uh, there's a, it's very commonly understood that the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs will, over time, cause deleterious effects in renal function. So when people indiscriminately use these non-steroidals, because they have pain, because the pain is from whatever source, like arthritis or whatever the case is, and they think yes. that well, this is over-the-counter, so it must be safe, so people use it over and over and over. Sometimes people are taking it four, five, six times a day. Um, it causes damage to the kidneys over time. And so I've even heard people talk about when they talk about chelation, when patients have come to me and they say, well, my doctor told me I shouldn't be getting, getting chelation because the chelation is going to affect my kidneys. It's going to damage my kidneys. It's going to uh, pull the calcium out of my bones. It's going to cause osteoporosis. None of these things are true. Yeah, what, what about the, the damage to the kidneys due to the presence of these heavy metals and toxins that they're struggling to filter out? Well, that's exactly the point, and I'm glad you brought it up because that's where I was getting to in a long way. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the short answer is that's exactly what's going on. It's the renal parenchyma, the tissue that makes up the kidneys, the, the uh, glomerular filtration aspect of the kidneys. Remember, it's creating a um, – what's the word? Sieve, is it? A sieve? Uh, like a, something that filters? A yeah, like a sieve. Filter- uh-huh. It's all the stuff that's coming through the blood. It's all the stuff that's coming through every part of our body eventually gets, comes through the blood, and the blood is being uh, filtered. And as it's filtering through the glomerular filtration a- apparatus of the kidneys, anything that's not good gets filtered out so it can be excreted through the urine. And one of the primary ways besides the gastrointestinal tract of heavy metals to be removed out of the body is the urinary tract. But what happens is, over time, those metals that the body's trying to get rid of are going to get sequestered in that renal parenchyma within the tissue of the kidneys itself. So you actually see a higher level of metals within everybody's kidneys, regardless of whether they're excreters or non-excreters, because that's the organ that's actually filtering some of these things out. So when we start the chelation process, as an example, you will actually see an initial rise in the BUN and creatinine, the blood urea nitrogen levels and the creatinine levels, which are the typical way of assessing kidney function from a very rapid assessment standpoint. Right. You see an increase in BUN and creatinine, which obviously is not something that we want. We don't want to see the BUN and creatinine rise, but we do see that rise initially because all of a sudden we are pulling these metals where the kidneys are normally used to seeing, say, one part of mercury per million parts of urine. It's now seeing 
500 parts of mercury per million parts of urine or whatever the metal is. So that's going to cause the kidneys to work a little bit harder, which is going to cause that BUN creatinine to actually increase. And then as the, as the metals are being removed out of the kidneys and out of the, the body, you're also going to, by definition, if you send the chelator in through that sieve, it's going to pull the metals out of the sieve as well. So the kidneys are actually getting cleaned up. Yeah. And then you actually see a drop in kidney function and going down lower than the initial baseline, which is, which is the most you know, remarkable thing that I uh, observed when I first got involved with this in, in the mid-1990s was that I had patients that would come in with borderline kidney function. We'd start the treatments. They'd bump up slightly. Within two weeks, they'd come down and would go lower than it had ever been. What would that indicate at that point? At, at that point, that the kidneys are actually the, – the kidneys are getting cleaned up is essentially what it's showing. Because yeah. remember, you're concentrating the chelator through the kidneys. Mm-hmm. Everything is concentrated through the kidneys. So the reason you see the increase in load uh, – the, the increase in BU and creatinine initially is because you're getting an increased concentration of the metals as they're being gathered from the rest of the body and then – Coming through the kidneys, you see that initial bump, and then you see everything drop down even lower because now the kidneys themselves are getting flushed out. So the kidneys are getting hit the hardest on a chronic level from any everybody, from, yeah. just from the environment. But then also when you start the treatments, the kidneys are getting the maximum treatment because everything gets chelated and, and concentrated through the, uh, through the uh, blood, which comes through the urine, and it right. actually then the kidneys see the, see the most concentrated component of the chelator as it comes through and that's why it helps to reduce the metal level in the kidneys thus allowing the kidneys the vacuoles within the kidneys to start functioning better nice well you know this sounds a lot like although it's in a different realm but still within the medical realm completely getting the science wrong on this uh like with chemotherapy in in oncology where they warn uh despite the science that shows otherwise they warn their patients to stay away from antioxidants and you know high mineral content things uh on the fear as they claim that it will inhibit the chemotherapy from working but the reality is it protects the healthy cells from the toxins not the cancer cells and here they're basically saying a chelating agent that will bind the metals bind the toxins and help the kidneys is going to be harmful to the kidneys i mean how do they get it so wrong well, actually, they're looking at cause and effect. So you give somebody a chelator, and initially you see that increase in BU and creatinine. Their thought is that the chelator is causing the damage, whereas in fact, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the chelator because the chelator, by definition of being a chelator, must be inert. Whatever goes in the body must come out. What actually is causing the damage is the heavy metals. So when the kidneys are normally seeing one part of mercury per million parts of urine, as I stated before, and then you give them a chelator, and the chelator, if it's not used judiciously, the person's kidney uh, function can become um, compromised and the person can end up having damage if the user Mm. is not operating with the right basis. In other words, if the operator is giving a high-dose chelator and constantly giving it and not monitoring it based upon BUN creatinine, not monitoring it based upon uh, biological uh, load, then you can cause kidney damage. But it's not the chelator that's causing the damage. It's the increased concentration that the chelator is binding to the metals as they're coming through the kidney that's what's causing the damage, the increased concentration of the metal. It has nothing to do with the chelator. But you can manage that. I know you've, you've, talked, you've oh. taught many doctors to manage this as well so they don't have that consideration or concern. Absolutely. If it's done the right way, it's, it's unbelievably safe. In fact, EDTA, ethylenediamine tetracetic acid, which is the typical chelator that we use for aluminum and lead and, and some of these other things, is one-third the toxicity of over-the-counter aspirin. That's how safe it is. You know, you bring, you bring that up, Dr. Batar. I have to say, I've heard it said that if aspirin and some of these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs were like had were under NDAs, new drug applications to the FDA, that they would be rejected because of the amount of damage, injury, hospitalization, and even death that they're causing. Absolutely. 
I'm categorically that is absolutely true because these things are they would never meet the would meet the criteria for uh, today's assessment. I mean, nobody knows exactly how aspirin works. Yes, we know it inhibits prostaglandins, and yes, we know it does this, that, the other, but. Nobody knows the true mechanism of aspirin. Oh, I, I, I got to tell you this, too. I'm sorry. This is fascinating. I'm loving this, Dr. Bittar. I had uh, um, my son, who you met, Elijah. He was uh, in the car with me. I was taking him to baseball practice the other day, and I had just you know come from my workout. I was rushing to get him back, and I said, uh, you know, Elijah, man, I was working hard. I was working my aspirin off. I just kind of you know make a play on words like that. And he, he said, Dad, what's an aspirin? <laughs> He's a he's eleven. He's a highly intelligent kid, as you know, and yet it, it, that just shows how disconnected we are now from the standard American or Western world, where an aspirin is a natural thing to get. I said, uh, Elijah, do you know what white willow bark tincture is? He says, Yeah, I, I take that. You know, if I if I have a little uh, pain or inflammation, you give me some of that tincture. So it, it's really an astounding thing that there are kids that are now learning that uh, you know drugs aren't even a, a last resort because they're not necessary because we're able to manage these things holistically. And I thought it was just a funny thing. I I didn't even realize it. Well, let me uh, ask you. Elijah's what, ten or eleven? Eleven now, yeah. Okay, eleven. So I'll uh, I'll up that. My youngest, uh, Rahan, who's six. Yep. We went to um, a place up in Oregon and uh, met some people that had invited us up to their ranch, and they have a lot of exotic animals. Well, uh, he happens to have Bactrian camels, which are the double hump camels, and uh, one of the males that was old had gotten into fight with one of the younger ones, and the gentleman made the mistake of getting in between them, and the male bit his arm mm. totally by accident. They have these big tusks. Yeah. And long story short, had a puncture wound, and uh, so Rahan, when we came back home, the, the gentleman had just been injured and was on antibiotics and such. So Rahan was talking to his mom, and he says, Mommy, John's really a good man. I wish... I wish John and his wife come and visit us, and I would get him some arnica for so <laughs> his arm. He's six years old, and he's talking about arnica. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, these stories are so great. Like I said, it gives me you know uh, hope for the future. You know, like I said, we'll have a generation of kids that will understand natural medicine first, and and an interventional modern type medicine as a last resort, the way it's supposed to be. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's just an aside. But again, the the fascinating discussion here. You know, coming back to. FDA-approved medicines, you know, the faith that, that uh, man, Americans have put in the government and the medical complex, yet approved substances that have actually wrought a lot of uh, destruction and even death where it would not have been necessary. And so as you've recognized and acknowledged the damage, not only the kidneys, of course, we know to the liver as well, uh, but, the, you know, the, the unwinding of it is, is teaching the next generation how indeed to take care of these things that we've just assumed now for generations. Oh, well, you just go to the pharmacy and grab this synthetic uh, poison. It's okay. Well, the non-steroidals, as an example, I mean, uh, this was actually another little funny anecdotal story, but it's t- directly tied into the non-steroidals. you remember the drug Vioxx? Oh, of course, yes. So when 2020 was interviewing me and they were questioning my um, methodology for assessing efficacy in patients and saying that, you know, putting out these videos wasn't scientific. And I said, well, who said they were scientific? You know, first of all, I never put 90% of those videos patients have put out. And the ones that we have put out, nobody's, I've never claimed and nobody that I know has ever claimed that they're scientific. They're trying to show mm-hmm. proof of what is achievable. So he says, well, regardless your methodologies have not been proven by science. And I said, excuse me, what do you mean by science? And he says, the evidence-based uh, double, the evidence-based model. Mm-hmm. I said, of course they're evidence-based. They're based upon evidence. He says, well, <laughs> the prevailing scientific evidence-based model. And I said, let me get this straight. I just want to make sure I understand. Are you talking about the double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-centered trials? 
that led to the approval of such drugs as Vioxx that had to kill 55,000 people before they took it off the market. Is that the type of science you're talking about? <laughs> and he just sat there dumbfounded, didn't know what to say, and changed the subject and went on to something else. Very nicely said. Very nicely said. We've got more to say. In fact, we're going to take a quick break here with Dr. Rashi Batar. It's uh, Advanced Medicine Monday, the medical rewind. Uh, man, one of my favorite parts of the week here, Dr. Batar. We're going to talk more about the kidney issue and recovering from it, hopefully preventing it before the absolute uh, failure occurs. And that's where we're getting a lot of concern from listeners about what do we do with family members, friends, otherwise, uh, that are dealing with this. We're going to come back with some more options and solutions with you and for you. And thank you to Dr. Batar. He's hanging out with us a little bit more today. I am so appreciative of our time together here, and it goes so fast. We've got to do more on this uh, issue of renal failure, kidney function. We talked kidney stones a while back today. It's, it's been beyond fascinating talking about chelation and the impact and the metal impact and the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug impact on kidney disease. We're talking basically medically induced diseases by and large. I mean, was kidney failure something that was uh, commonly known and written about in the annals of, of medical uh, uh, text in years past? I don't know whether it's been written about uh, commonly, I mean, I, as, I as it now seems, like I said, Dr. Batar, I'm seeing a, 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 a dialysis centers popping up everywhere. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that is passing mnemonic off uh, as we resort more and more to the pharmaceutical model. We see more and more effects to the renal system and to the hepatic system and to you know, the liver system. So I think all the organs of detoxification, in fact, you look at this, we have more people that have complications with their skin. Uh, we have more see more people that have gut issues, especially in the West with vacillation of gut issues, and of course the kidneys that we're talking about, and then the liver. And these are all the four primary organs of detoxification. So it's no wonder that the the more toxic our systems become, and the more impaired our detoxification systems become, the more we're going to start seeing failure of these systems. Um, and it's secondary to the drug model where we just cover up the symptoms as opposed to finding the causation of the pathology. Yeah, and you know, coming back to this basic, found, you know, the three foundational principles that you wrote about in in your book, the nine steps to keep the doctor away, as well as uh, you know, applying those principles in in real time, in reality. Uh, of course, uh, modern medicine is slow to adopt these changes because they're invested in a synthetic medical model, even as as innocuous as we talked about the over the counter non steroidals, which we agree would not be approved uh, for use by FDA. Should would they come up as new drug applications based on the dangers and the damage that they do? and acknowledged to be caused, um, you know, moving into this other model. We talked a little bit about our children, about the fact that, you know, it's a whole new awareness growing up that, you know, the first thought is to go to a homeopathic medicine, mentioning Arnica, or herbs to address, you know, uh, you know, mild inflammation, mild pain, things like that. Uh, you know, there's a transition and transformation going on, but it's all the more stunning still, I find, uh, when uh, somebody trained as a physician in the allopathic model comes to this. I remember, you know, going to Emory University years ago, one of my best buddies, best friends even today is a pediatric surgeon. And, you know, initially when he came through his training, and I've had him on my show a number of times over the years, he kind of looked at what I did in homeopathy and laughed and just kind of chuckled and, you know, kind of tolerated it. And, of course, now in his own practice, he's recommending uh, as, well, as much as he can uh, these holistic homeopathic and even using the silver we talked about. And, and it really, there is a transformation happening. It, you wouldn't know it by watching Dateline in 2020 and all these, but the reality is it is happening. Oh, absolutely. It's happening everywhere. One of my uh, very good friends here who's, a, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one of the top plastic surgeons in the country, you know, routinely uses Arnica before he, uh, Dr. Victor Ferrari uh, uses Arnica before doing any surgery in any patient. He actually gives them Arnica beforehand and tells them that this is something that they're going to be using right after, you know, postoperatively and uh, doses them, pre-doses them for a, a day or two. 
Um, there, there's a number of uh, different uh, things too that he uses, like vitamin C and certain other things. Um, silver that you mentioned, you know, it's interesting. Silver is, I've heard doctors talk about, well, that, that's, there's no evidence of the silver, and yet silverdine, which is a prescription uh, item that is used for burn the wounds. third degree. I mean, it's the worst of the worst. Exactly. Silverdine was actually developed at the Institute of Surgical Research at Brook Army Medical Center, which is where I trained when I did my general surgery training. And, you know, Silverdine is, is phenomenal. And, and it's essentially an ointment with a silver base of it. Yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's crude compared to other forms of silver, silver hydrosol, and other things that we've worked with since then. But still, it, it, for them to say there's no science behind it, again, it's, it shows a level of ignorance or laziness on the part of the, the medical professionals that won't look at the research and more coming out literally every month. Well, it's, it's, uh, it is. It's, it's that I don't even know how to say it. It's, it's more than ignorance because even with the medical boards, they'll say, but there's no scientific evidence of this working. And I'm like, it's in the journals themselves. Read the freaking journals. I mean, this <laughs> I is exactly. new stuff. This stuff has been there for ages. Some of the stuff on, like, lead toxicity in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it, it was published in 2003 that any dose, regardless of whether it's low or high, any dose, in fact, that study showed that lower dose of lead was more neurologically impairing and caused a decrease in IQ compared to the higher dose. And that intuitively doesn't make any sense, but that's what the study showed, and it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, or the correlation between mercury and heart disease. And people say, well, there's no evidence of that. That's preposterous. Like the April edition, of, uh, one of the April editions of 2004, I believe it was April 4th or April 16th edition of, um, of 2004, of New England Journal of Medicine showed a direct correlation between mercury, it was toenail clipping levels of mercury, and myocardial infarction with an inverse correlation to decosahexaenoic acid with one of the fish oils, one of the components of fish oils. Omega sixes, so you know it's. Uh, I'm sorry, one of the omega threes. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. It shows that th- this stuff is out there, but the the gut response, you know, knee jerk reaction from the traditional medical models. Well, there's no scientific evidence. It's like, do you even read? Yeah. Do you even know how to read because it's right in the journals. And forget about the journals for a second. The truest form of science is observation. You first observe something. And then you form a hypothesis, and then you test it. So when they, when the tests have already been done, somebody's already formed that hypothesis. Somebody's already tested it, mm. observed it, written about it, run the statistical models, gone through the unbelievable, painstaking trial and tribulation of getting something published. I mean, it, that's a nightmare. I don't know whether you've ever tried to do that, but that. Oh yeah, a- I've I've assisted uh, with a number of papers over the years, and it's amazing the level, the layers, the this. I mean, it's not a, it's not just cakewalk. I tell you. It, and, and then when you finally get it published, then they say, nobody's reading it and saying, well, it's not based on science. It's like, it is science. It is, it's, <laughs> where is our science based on? Where's the drug model based on? It's all based on the original, um, you know, using herbs and using plants and using other substances naturally occurring that had a medicinal value. And now we use it. Yeah. And we see it's a conditioned response for them to say there's no scientific evidence. It's literally, there's no, it, it takes no, uh, let's say, um, brain? Say, it, it, it takes brain? No brain power to say that? Right. Well, yeah, it's a conditioned response. It's like you hit the knee, the knee pops up, right? This is yeah. what happens in, in in a lot of the training. It's, uh, uh, you know, I call it hazing. Some of medical uh, training is hazing. But and the idea is just just don't think outside of this box, which, uh, you know, your problem, Dr. Batar, is you think so far outside the box, the box has been obliterated, yet you're, yet you're so rooted in the foundations of real science as well. So it's just like it should be. Innovation happens through observation. And, of course, we don't discount these so-called anecdotes. I mean, you witness these things. Ultimately, all healing is anecdotal. It either happens or it doesn't. And then we try to figure out what did we do to help and then apply that to help others. 
Well, see, I, I totally disagree with that, Robert, and here's why. Because I don't believe any of it's anecdotal. Because if you have a response, let's say you're one out of a thousand people that has a problem, and I, I treat all thousand people the same way, and you yep. have a response to it, and you get better, but the other 999 don't. Right. My question to you is, other people are going to say that's anecdotal, but to you, in your personal experience, is that anecdotal? Well, only in the context of relating it, but no, it is a very real healing experience, which is... It's 100% response yeah, exactly, rate Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, so for to say it's anecdotal, you know, define anecdotal because of the individual that has that response, it's 100% of their experience. How can you call 100% of somebody's experience anecdotal? Well, I tend to look at anecdotes as positive, and I realize within the medical profession they tend not to uh, because, for me, they're very real. You know, trained in homeopathy, every little anecdote means something, and you pay attention to it. Uh, some may have more meaning than others, but you're right. You know, you're either healed or you're not, and it's 100% if it happens to you. If it didn't happen to 999 others, it's irrelevant. It's only important. But I talked also about this uh, on my show yesterday about the fact that it's not true of only pediatricians, but pediatricians, by and large, are collectivists. They don't look at individual children. They they look at this concept of herd immunity to voice the vaccine issue, and they're blaming the people that are not vaccinated for the people that are vaccinated getting sick, which belies the, the fact that vaccines must not work if they're not protecting them against exposure so there's some well, bizarre things there it's so bizarre in fact i don't know whether you you and i never talked about this i don't know whether you remember frontline um courted me for probably two months trying to convince me to be on frontline and i finally agreed but only in the conditions that they would they would interview three of my patients and they agreed to do that they spent an entire day about seven and a half hours in my office of which over four hours was direct filming and when Frontline finally aired the vaccine wars, if you remember, they yes. showed one snippet of my office. It was like an undercover camera, and it was web. It had been published on the web, and that's they just said referred to me as a controversial doctor. They never used any of the footage. They never used any of the interviews. It was, in, yeah. in fact, there was there was a press release that Carolinians for Healthcare Access put out about how uh, the, the, even the Frontline lacked the integrity. I mean, the PBS. I thought that would be the last. You know, Sebastian of hope in, in journalistic integrity, but they completely it was a it was a one sided, uh, blatant lie. They had a couple of little outbreaks of measles and, and whatever else they, that they showed, and they were trying to blame these parents. They had all these doctors, the, the vaccine developers, mm -hmm. as these great uh, saviors of mankind, and then they pitted them against a couple of mothers. They didn't even have a doctor. None of the doctors that are anti vaccine, not anti vaccine, but you know, judicious vaccine, but. I'm not embarrassed pro, to say that I'm pro-health. Yeah, pro-health freedom, pro-freedom, pro-choice. Pro-health would be the best way of putting it, pro-health. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're pro-health, you can't be taking vaccines. <laughs> Thank you. That was very well said. Mothers, they pitted them against a couple of mothers and, and made it like, you know, eccentric. They painted the mothers as if they were eccentric. And uh, it was a terrible, terrible piece. It was unbelievable. What I mean, there was three or four different press releases that went out from different organizations just uh, crying. Um, you know, it was an outcry, public outcry that Frontline had been – bastardized to that level and i don't know if i can say that online yes uh, yes we can no problem it's an appropriate way to say it but you know that goes to the the media even within the government complex the media when you're talking about public broadcasting supposedly taxpayer funded there obviously is an internal bias because we know who funds much of uh you know the function of government outside of even the taxpayer the whole idea of lobbying where the most most of that money is coming from so uh, they they are very cautious not to bite the hand that feeds it so even a pbs special like that tends to be biased on the side of the pharmaceutical industrial complex that wasn't even tends to be biased that was blatantly biased <laughs> it was so so evident i mean you could yes. it, it was unbelievable i can't even put in words 
the 2020 piece seemed to be biased towards us compared to the frontline piece, if you can imagine that. That's wow, that is stunning. That is stunning. So, you know, wrapping up the kind of ki- the kidney discussion as well, uh, coming back, we talked about chelating agents. Obviously, there are, are times where it requires uh, intervention by a physician that can do this in the way that you do, but there are other things that can be done out there that will support and help. A lot of it's written about in your book as well, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Any tips as well for, you know, we talk about going organic, cleaning up the, the, the diet, making it easier on the liver and kidneys, of course. Uh, but any, uh, let's say, uh, positive steps people can take, botanical, homeopathic, or otherwise that you've seen in your practice? Well, there are, there are a lot of different things you can do. I'll tell you, in my, in my world, the most important thing you can do for your kidneys is stay away from non-steroidals, whether they're over-the-counter or not. Stay away from them as much as possible. Now, if you've broken a bone, you know, you've tripped and fallen down the steps, okay, take a non-steroidal for a day or two. Uh, but after that, that's it. You shouldn't take it. If you've got a broken bone, you may need it for you know maybe a couple more days. That's just to reduce the inflammation so the healing process can... can sure, but uh, we come back to Arnica as well, and I've had cases, and maybe you've seen it too, of severe, including breaks, addressed by Arnica with no non-steroidal intervention. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. I'm just saying, if, if, if a person doesn't have access to something like right. Arnica or, 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 or something that can help to mitigate that inflammatory response... Because the inflammation response at a certain point does become negative for healing, yes. but but it's only for a very very short period. I'm talking about a day or two at the max. And arnica, by far, in my opinion, is superior to any non-steroidal on the market. But the most important thing a person can do is just simply abstain from it. Beautiful. Well, that's, that's a, here's the one thing: if you need yeah. if you need an anti-inflammatory more than two or three days, there is something underlying that must be addressed, and it is not. You just it's You're just right. like the Going to a mechanic and the mechanic saying there's a knocking sound in your engine, you keep on turning up the volume of your stereo and putting earmuffs on because you keep on hearing the, the, the sound in the engine. The key is not the earmuffs or turning up the volume of your stereo. The key is to find out what's causing the knocking sound in the engine and get rid of it. Well, exactly. Also increasing the omega-3 essential fats. I mean, Dr. Joseph Maroon, he's a neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, he found equivalent or better responses from the omega-3s than the non-steroidals and COX-2 inhibiting drugs. Absolutely. You know, uh, the krill oil, um, flaxseed oil, any of these, um, the fish oils, any of these things will work for that. Absolutely. Well, man, I'm telling you, we, we got some amazing things out today on Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind, Dr. Batar. It's absolutely a pleasure to get together with you every week for the special uh, special time every week and, uh, and let loose on some healing truths and facts that are not revealed anywhere else in the media. Robert, you know, I said it in the beginning of the show, but I really meant it. It's like almost a... A release for me. It's like working out where you can take out all your exertions and all the frustrations you may have as an outlet. Because as you know, it's not good for your own health to hold things in. And sometimes I see people with this internal conflict. We talked about this with the doctors and their internal conflict. And that's, that's one reason that they're so, um, that their moods are so off and they're just so, such a pathetic, or, I don't want to use the word pathetic, but you know what I mean. They're just <laughs> yeah. always down. They're always depressed. Yes, they're yes. always negative. They're just always. You know what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for, Robert? Uh, well, I mean, if it's if it's if it's a dour mood, I mean, there are many different ways to say it. The word's not coming to me either because I'm just thinking too too many happy thoughts. Well, <laughs> that's good. But the, what I was the point that I was trying to make though was that the reason I like being in the show is because it is an outlet for me. It's an outlet yeah. for me for me to be able to say what I want the world to know, and and it's, and from obviously what we're hearing 
the show's becoming popular more every week. You guys yes, run into server issues with, uh, because we, we can't keep up with the growth. Is that correct? Yeah, the feedback's been great. We're just trying to keep up with the demand of the growth. And as well, the feedback having you on, Dr. Patar, and let everybody know we appreciate it all. Uh, it's just the fascinating discussions that we're doing, and they're only going to get more fascinating as we go. Dr. Patar, you're only here with me once a week. It's not enough, but we do whatever we can. And you have ways that people can learn more about you. I always encourage people to get your books, and there's lots of videos and things. But let everybody know where they can learn more. Well, there, there are a number of different sites that are uh, available to people for resources, but we've got them all uh, in one location so people can pick and choose whatever information they need, and that would be at medicalrewind.com.